to the Data Skeptic bonus feed, where we release extended content on data science, statistics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. The Heads in the Sand Objection The consequences of machines' thinking would be too dreadful. Let us hope and believe that they cannot do so. This argument is seldom expressed quite so openly as in the form above, but it affects most of us who think about it at all. We like to believe that man is in some subtle way superior to the rest of creation. It is best if he can be shown to be necessarily superior, for then there is no danger of him losing his commanding position. The popularity of the theological argument is clearly connected with this feeling. It is likely to be quite strong in intellectual people, since they value the power of thinking more highly than others, and are more inclined to base their beliefs in the superiority of man on this power. I do not think that this argument is sufficiently substantive to require refutation. Consolation would be more appropriate. Perhaps this should be sought in the transmigration of souls. 3. The Mathematical Objection There are a number of results of mathematical logic which can be used to show that there are limitations to the powers of discrete state machines. The best known of these results is known as Gödel's Theorem, and shows that in any sufficiently powerful logical system, statements can be formulated which can neither be proved nor disproved within the system, unless possibly the system itself is inconsistent. There are others, in some respects similar, results due to Church, Clean, Rosser, and Turing. The latter result is the most convenient to consider, since it refers directly to machines, whereas the others can only be used in a comparatively indirect argument. For instance, if Gödel's theorem is to be used, we need, in addition, to have some means of describing logical systems in terms of machines. For instance, if the Gödel's argument is to be used, we need, in addition, to have some means of describing logical systems in terms of machines, and machines in terms of logical systems. The result in question refers to a type of machine which is essentially a digital computer with an infinite capacity. It states that there are certain things that a machine cannot do. If it is rigged up to give some answers to questions, as in the imitation game, there will be some questions to which it will either give a wrong answer or fail to give an answer at all, however much time is allowed for a reply. There may, of course, be many such questions, and questions which cannot be answered by one machine may be satisfactorily answered by another. We are, of course, supposing for the present that the questions are of the kind to which an answer yes or no is appropriate, rather than questions such as, what do you think of Picasso? The questions that we know the machines must fail on are of this type, Consider the machine specified as follows, dot, dot, dot. Will this machine ever answer yes to any questions? The dots are to be replaced by the description of some machine in a standard form, which could be something like that used in section 5. When the machine described bears a certain comparatively simple relation to the machine which is undergoing interrogation, it can be shown that the answer is either wrong or not forthcoming. This is the mathematical result it is argued that it proves a disability of machines to which the human intellect is not subject. The short answer to this argument is that, although it is established that there are limitations to the powers of any particular machine, it has only been stated, without any sort of proof, that no such limitation apply to the human intellect. But I do not think that this view can be dismissed quite so lightly. Whether one of these machines is asked an appropriate critical question and gives a definite answer, we know that this answer must be wrong. And this gives us a certain feeling of superiority. Is this feeling illusory? It is no doubt quite genuine. But I do not think that such importance should be attached to it. 
We too often give wrong answers to questions ourselves to be justified in being very pleased at such evidence of fallibility on the parts of the machines. Further, our superiority can only be felt on such an occasion in relation to the one machine over which we have scored our petty triumph. There would be no question of triumphing simultaneously over all machines. In short, then, there might be men cleverer than any given machine, but then again, there might be other machines cleverer again, and so on. Those who hold to the mathematical argument would, I think, mostly be willing to accept the imitation game as a basis for discussion. Those who believe in the two previous objections would probably not be interested in any criteria. Argument 4. The Argument from Consciousness This argument is very well expressed in Professor Jefferson's Listener Oration for 1949, from which I quote, Not until a machine can write a sonnet or compose a concerto because of thoughts and emotions felt, and not by the chance falls of symbols, could we agree that machine equals brain. That is... Not only write it, but know that it had written it. No mechanism could feel, and not merely artificially signal as an easy contrivance, pleasures at its successes, grief when its values fuse, be warmed by flattery, be made miserable by its mistakes, be charmed by sex, be angry or depressed when it cannot get what it wants. This argument appears to be a denial of the validity of our test. According to the most extreme form of this view, the only way by which one could be sure that a machine thinks is to be the machine and to feel oneself thinking. One could then describe these feelings to the world, but of course no one would be justified in taking any notice. Likewise, according to this view, the only way to know that a man thinks is to be that particular man. It is in fact the solipsist point of view. It may be the most logical view to hold if it makes communication of ideas difficult. A is liable to believe A thinks, but B does not, whilst B believes B thinks, but A does not. Instead of arguing continually over this point, it is usual to have the polite convention that everyone thinks. I am sure that Professor Jefferson does not wish to adopt the extreme and solipsist point of view. Probably, he would be quite willing to accept the imitation game as a test. The game, with the player B omitted, is frequently used in practice under the name Viva Vosa to discover whether someone really understands something or has learnt it parrot fashion. Let us listen to a part of such a Viva Vosa. Interrogator. In the first line of your sonnet, which reads, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Would not a spring day do as well or better? Witness. It wouldn't scan. Interrogator. How about a winter's day? That would scan all right. Witness. Yes, but nobody wants to be compared to a winter's day. Interrogator. Would you say Mr. Pickwick reminded you of Christmas? Witness. In a way. Interrogator. Yet Christmas is a winter's day, and I do not think Mr. Pickwick would mind the comparison. Witness. I don't think you're serious. By a winter's day, one means a typical winter's day, rather than a special one like Christmas. And so on. What would Professor Jefferson say if the sonnet-writing machine was able to answer like this in the Viva Vosa? I do not know whether he would regard the machine as merely artificially signaling these answers, but if the answers were as satisfactory and sustained as in the above passage, I do not think he would describe it as an easy contrivance. This phrase is, I think, intended to cover such devices as the inclusion in the machine of a record of someone reading a sonnet,
with appropriate switching to turn it on from time to time. In short, then, this phrase is, I think, intended to convey such devices as the inclusion in the machine of a record of someone reading a sonnet with an appropriate switching to turn it on from time to time. In short, then, I think that most of those who support the argument from consciousness could be persuaded to abandon it rather than be forced into a solipsist position. They will then probably be willing to accept our test. I do not wish to give the impression that I think there is no mystery about consciousness. There is, for instance, something of a paradox connected with any attempt to localize it. But I do not think these mysteries necessarily need to be solved before we can answer the question with which we are concerned in this paper. Data Skeptic is a listener-supported program. To support the show, visit dataskeptic.com and click on the membership tab.